Welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, a podcast brought to you by CityCo, the city centre management company for Manchester and for sunny Salford. Uh, we're here at the LGBT Foundation, once again, guests of Paul Martin, uh, for the long-promised, probably about three months now, uh, second half of a podcast around the village and the history of the village. Uh, so we're, we're flying a little bit by the seat of our pants, for want of a better term here, because um, I haven't got any fixed questions, which is probably the best way of doing these things. Uh, got three guests. Paul is to my left and will grab me if he wants to say anything particularly urgent or if I go off uh, the right framework in terms of what I should be allowed to say. And in front of me are two of the luminaries of the village. That's not the right word, is it? Luminaries of the village um, who are quite capable of uh, introducing themselves. We're going to talk about past, present and future as well over the next 30 minutes. Uh, so... So, yeah, I'm Tony Cooper from uh, On Bar Now, previously from Via and other venues as we've gone through the years. I'm John Hamilton from Bar Pop and numerous activities over the 30 years. <laughs> activities is definitely the word. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, like the introduction. You know what I mean, why did he say we've got two old queens in front of me? <laughs> I get told off for saying that. Um, Take us back to the beginning. What were your first memories of the village, first interactions with the village? God, mine was, I was about 14, 15, um, and I'd heard these little rumours of this area where it was gay um, in Manchester. So I got a, I got a bus down. Um, I skived off school and I got a bus down. During the day. During the day. And I hung around outside the union. <laughs> and that was probably, well, be about 35, 36 years ago, more. Yeah, 36. So, yeah. 80s? Yeah, 80s. And what was there at the time? Was um, the time sir? Not a lot. The union was obviously half the size it is now. Um, and they had the car park at the side. That's right. And the car park opposite. And the brick building that now goes down to GAY cellar, that was Austin's. No, 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 was no that, that wasn't Austin's. That wasn't but, until the uh, 90s, 90s. 90s, Austin's, yeah. What was so it? I was then? there at the opening. It was the AA Club or the RAC Club That's or something. That's it, yes. Yeah. But there wasn't a lot of else. So that no. wasn't an ironic name. It wasn't. No, it no, no. It was, was a private, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, it was a <laughs> private members club. It was a car club or something, yeah. wasn't it? So, uh, but I arrived... My first introduction to Manchester and the gay village and gay scene was for the Section 28 Clause March. Yeah. And I was living in Devon and my friends from Birmingham said, oh, we're going up for this rally to Manchester. Why don't you come up for the day? And I just split up with a partner then. I was like, oh, why not? So we caught the train up five hours up. And got off at Piccadilly Station. It hasn't improved in all no, these years. No, it hasn't improved in all these years. <laughs> and got off at Piccadilly Station. And at that time, the traffic could still go up the approach, stuff like that. But there was nothing. There was just loads of Had people. Had you been to Manchester before? Never. So they said, just give us a call. Uh, I don't know if it was give us a call. I don't even know I had a mobile phone then. Uh, and I just remember getting off the station and walking down the approach. And at the side on London Road, you know, where the trams go up now, there were just thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And as I walked down, I went, oh, my God, look at all the gay people. You know, it was just, I, I, I was just like, I, I can't explain. Just, I mean, bear in mind, I've been stuck in Devon. 
you know, with two cottages so, and four old men walking the, with dogs. Was this the biggest collection of gay people that you're... Well, uh, not because I've been to London Pride several times, but not having someone for a while, I'm just going, coming to Manchester and get that full demonstration with placards and people shouting. And then I was like, I'm not going to be able to find my friends. It, and then just joined the march and, and getting into Albert Square. See, it's interesting that that is the 30th anniversary this year, and it's still the largest civil rights queer movement, you know, event mm. this country's ever seen. So there was 25,000, 30,000 people there, and it was... Oh, it, counts amazing. I mean, it, I was, mean, it was a defining moment for a lot of people, though. If you, if you talk to a lot of people that are in their 40s and stuff now... Um, and in their 50s and stuff, there's the amount of people that, that turned around and said, that was my first, that was my first thing, that was my first demonstration, that was the first time that I walked into somewhere and went, oh my God, there's not just a few of us. Yeah. I was there as well. Just to get, get into Albert Square and, you know, you try and tell people to go to Albert Square now and stand there and go, every road there was people down it trying to get in. It took the police by storm. It took everybody storm. Nobody expected that amount of people. And then to stand there, and I mean, yeah, yeah, there were speeches and all that. And, you know, uh, I can't remember the speeches. I just can remember all these well-known celebrities who came out, who stood up, stuff like that. You know, I remember Ian McKellen waving out the window. I remember, you know, my stars like Andy Bell out of Erasure yeah. standing, all this, Sue John. Johnson, you know, all these people of my era and going, oh my God, look at all these people, you know, standing up for this. You know, it was just... It was certainly the thing that brought a lot of people to Manchester. So certainly yeah. people in my generation, as you said, Tony, I certainly moved to Manchester the year later in part because um, of, of that hotbed of political activism and stuff. But do you remember, John, about 18 months, two years later and thesbian tendencies? Yes. Do you remember at that? Do you library. Talk a bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, uh... And the after show party that you did, do you remember? No! Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we're chumping off a bit now, aren't we? We're, mm. uh, that and, oh, you've got me all over the place now. I was going to, let, let me just say about the gay scene back then when I first arrived, because yeah, for me, for, you know, before we go to that, I've got to explain that why Manchester sold it to me was then I came from that square into the village, you know? and to see the bars and the life, and to go to a place called Rockies that was absolutely rammed that night, and going, oh my God, this is a gay club, you know, uh, of the 80s. Yeah. And it was, it was an 80s gay club, you know, completely with handlebar moustaches, the whole thing going, this is the gay scene, which was fashion then. It was just amazing. And then, as I just said, you know, a year later, ending up here, coming to live, and going, oh my God. And then, as Paul says, being involved with various projects and volunteering and getting involved, going to Thespian Tendencies, which was sitting there seeing all these people, I believe it was a library theatre, and seeing and then Ian McKellen doing parts of his one-man show. And I'm sitting there crying and going, oh, my God, it's Ian McKellen. Oh, my God, it's Ian McKellen. And doing his show. And, you know, it's those things for us, you know. And, and it was for us. It was about us and going, you know, look at us, you know, and looking around the room and... I, it's but then you performed at the after show party <laughs> at the gay centre yeah. for Ian McKellen and for Sue Johnson and yeah. for Andy Bell and all the others do you not remember that yes I do and that's taste why taste of honey yes I do yeah and that that's... Paul's just trying to get everything out <laughs> yeah I know but <laughs> I'm embarrassed because uh, I was with the early days but... you're embarrassed 
Yeah, uh, I know what it was like. What you do, Viva La Diva every week, and you're embarrassed about yeah, Taste of Honey. Yeah, that was I know. Tasted but, classy. Well, the thing was, is what you haven't mentioned was that you got me involved with Mesmac, who was Men Who Had Sex with Men, and it was one of the first projects in the country, wasn't it, that did, that, that managed to get free condoms, and Manchester was in, important as a, a major major point for HIV and AIDS back in those days. Still is. Uh, and Paul and his friends, Ian, and the council and everybody that managed to get funding for this. And they, we all sat around discussing, how are we going to get this message out? How are we going to get this message out? How are we going to get gay men to listen or take a message in the room around? And then it was that kind of thing of looking across the room type thing. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, putting flowers on it a bit, but it was type of thing looking at me because I was doing uh, recreational arts for the community at university a post-grad thingy, and it was, uh, John, maybe we could, you know, what about we You're got a... You're a performer. Yeah, maybe we get a drag queen. <laughs> get a drag queen to actually go into the bars and do drag numbers and, and get a safe sex message across. And that's how I started in Manchester. Were you performing before you came up here? Not really, no, not really. So Manchester it's, sort of made yeah, you... Man, you was performing <laughs> from the womb. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in front of an audience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've done it now and again, and, and that's how we started doing the safe sex messages in the village. And then we got quite well known, got taken up by it, and the press picked up on it and all things like that. And then it happened to this lesbian thing, uh, that would I do this performance? And it was... I was like, myself, you know, it was just one of those things of like, what are we doing here with all these well-known people in the room? You know, this little kid, I wasn't a little kid, I was 20, but you know, still in awe of all these people in front of this Amstrad, you know, hi-fi performing with these kids, our safe sex message, you know, those were the days. Was, was the Section 28 March... And presumably that experience for an awful lot of people coming into the city seeing that. Did that mark a step change in the village? In Absolutely. Sort of self-awareness and in numbers of businesses and so on? Absolutely. Because the, the other thing you, you've got to remember around that time as well is we always, we had Anderton as well. So um, we were all running around in our little cesspit of humanity. And um, it was, I think, the march was a change where actually we knew once all these 30,000 people had gone, the people that were left here knew that they could achieve something, they could start to change something. Um, and that's when a lot of the fighting back started outside the venues. When we, mm. Do you remember when we used to get the Jesus bus? Yes. The Jesus bus that used to park outside the Union and they used to all get off the Jesus bus and they used to walk up and hand out leaflets to... Um, everyone that was leaving one of the gay bars, telling them but that I they remember, were going to I, die of AIDS. I remember and... the year after I came, uh, you know, going to the bars, and you know, here we go, another visit, and the police would walk in, and not just one, ten, twenty of them yeah. would walk in in full vis, and go through the bar like a sweep, you know, to actually. And that was a policy from the top down. That was a policy yeah, from the top absolutely. down. It was a policy from the top down, you know. Uh, 
And it, and it was like, you'd always have to look over your shoulder what was going on. And the police would be there uh, with their recording equipment or whatever, sitting in undercover cars, watching what was going on. You know, and people say, oh, that, that didn't happen. But it did happen. You know, we were there at Rocky's. And a lot. Yeah. And a lot. It, you know, we've, there's certain things that are talked about now, you know, the, the big raids at Rockies and stuff. Mm. People always talk about. But what they forget is, you know, the raids at Napoleon's. Yeah. The, you know, this was a regular regular thing it was to put the children in place you know uh and to check things weren't going going on i mean it's annoying to sort of think there was loads of other things going on in the dance culture and stuff around the city yeah those clubs were never raided well hacienda for a for a yeah. for a start you know i was i was very much a hacienda queen back back in those days and Hacienda had a, a fantastic gay culture going on within within the club. Hacienda never got raided. Not certainly not not in the scale that that you know the village did. They got raided for other things, but they was never about sexuality ever. But it had a great little gay scene going on inside the club. But then you'd come out and you'd come to, you know, gay bars, gay clubs. Yeah. And it like I said, everybody was used to it. Everyone was yeah, used I mean, to it. Yeah, I mean, that was going. There's loads of things going on back in the day. I mean, back do you remember the, what a lot of kids, I'd say kids now, you know, but young people or people are actually using the village now, don't remember the old licensing? No. You know, the old licensing on a Sunday, the bar shut at 2, 2.30, and then didn't yeah. open till 7 well, o'clock so, in the same, evening. Same thing on Saturday, finding a pint after 2 o'clock on a yeah. Saturday. And for those, those like my fellows growing up in Sheffield, we all have warm feelings about the Crucible Theatre because they'd, they'd serve you underage in the afternoon and you could just sit there all afternoon while people would wander, wander past doing whatever they were. And it was the only place that you could, you could drink all afternoon. And... Youngsters just don't understand those no. things anyway. Yeah. I, did, I did want to ask you about, um, do you think then the growth of the, the village was also, I mean, it must have been heavily influenced by the growth of dance culture generally at the time, because a lot of my memories around that time as somebody was into acid and then a house from 89, 90 onwards, was though the perception now is that everywhere just switched over to that sort of music, actually hearing that sort of music in an environment where you felt relatively safe in a northern city was still quite rare. You know, it, it, in Leeds, I can think of one club where you would feel safe to go and really enjoy yourself that wasn't a gay club or wasn't at yeah. least a, a, a very gay-friendly club. Manchester's quite lucky in the point that we've got five universities around this area and a huge student population. So, of course, that's added to the gay scene and that's added to the scene and the culture of Manchester politically and sexuality-wise over the years. And as the uh, city has developed, I think that culture has developed as well. So, you know, as Manchester took on board the redevelopment of the Canal Basin, yeah. all of that, Carol Ainsco, you know, back in the day, saw an opportunity, uh, as Carol often did, and outbid people. <laughs> or, or created an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And uh, created Manto, and she saw what was going on, various through the club-wise and stuff, and saw the culture. And, you know, whether we... we you know, there is a lot of who and ours about whether, you know, it was the right thing. Media-wise, it was the right thing at that time. It, you know, she put glass windows, clear glass windows on the front of a bar, or a cafe bar, as you call it. Mm. That was the first one to really do it, because most of the gay bars at that point were behind uh, glass or walls. 
And of course, most people have forgotten what the original meaning of Manto was. It was Manchester, Manchester tomorrow. Today. 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 Manchester today. And it, was, it came very much out of the whole kind of uh, uh, factory and... Hacienda. Hacienda sort of stuff. Yeah. And of course, Peter Dalton, who was the promotions manager at the Hacienda, I think mm-hmm. he might have been, or at least his boyfriend was mm. at the time, you know, he partnered with... Um, uh, Carol, yeah. and sort of like he was as intrinsically part of that whole kind of movement, and it forced others because you know if you remember, you would run before Manto, you would run um, from uh, the uh, New Union up very very badly cobbled streets that had massive great amounts of them that were no, missing. it wasn't cobbled, then, was no, no, there it, was some, it, it was, was tarmac. It, well, I t- seem to remember there was kind of like... If you remember, the road went from Princess Street down the side of the Union. I don't remember that. Yeah, that, the road went from Princess Street... I remember being Princess Street down the Union all the way up. It was tarmac, and it used to be a joke because where we stood at the bottom of the Union, where everybody used mm-hmm. to stand out at night and block the road, then at the top end, where my bar is now, yeah, yeah, uh, which used to be the old Playboy Casino, that was all boarded up. This was before Via opened. Yeah. Uh, and the prostitutes used to hang up there. Well, you used to have the girl. You used girls to have the girls. <laughs> Why do we know so much about the, the prostitutes? But it was an area for prostitutes, it both was. women and boys. You know, in certain bars of that era, uh, Churchill's, one side of it was rent boys, one yeah. side of it was prostitutes, uh, and all of this. And then Carol came in with Manto, and she jumped straight in because of the redevelopment of the canal along. And that's when they came in and cut the road off and then cobbled it all, all the way up. And then, I can't remember, was Via Fossa first before well, Manto or after? It was, it was... A, it was after, Via Fossa was after. It was just afterwards because the thing is, with the, with the property prices around yeah. here at the time, the big breweries just looked at it and went, boom, look at how much, you know, Carol's doing here. Yeah. Boom, and they were straight in. It was such a vibrant area. Wasn't it yeah. then? It was absolutely went through the roof. Because I remember when the Via Fossa plans were put in and there was a big meeting and how that would affect because the, the plan was about to put the first residents into this area and all the bars were concerned because we were drinking on the streets. Then we didn't need a licence to drink on yeah. the streets. You know, all that. We could drink on the streets till two o'clock and it was a great party atmosphere. No trouble. Not that I remember. We used anyway. to wheel the big massive speakers outside of yeah. Uh, Manto. Yeah. You know, on a Sunday afternoon, just being the big speakers out. Then they put this accommodation in. And I remember being at the public meeting and the councillor standing up and going, this will not affect your businesses, this will not affect your community. And the people we're putting in here are the, uh, the community from Hong Kong uh, that want to repatriate back to the UK. And we need to put them to a noisy, vibrant area. And so please don't worry. So fine, we all agreed, okay, let's go here. And shortly afterwards, all these different laws came in and people went looking for these minutes. Do you remember? Nobody could find these minutes with these quotes and suddenly disappeared. What a surprise. (laughs) Tell us about moving from uh, attending clubs and and dancing or performing to owning bars, owning clubs and moving into the business. Well, what Tony's not telling you, you've been in this business for a long while, haven't you? You see, I was brought up in the trade, so... It's it's a different it's it's a different kettle of fish for me because I I I've never really it's a family business yeah it's you know I'm fifth generation licensee on my dad's side so for me it's it's always been a natural thing I've done other things but it's 
for me, it's always been Jerry, the natural... you have done other things, haven't you? You've not mentioned the other things you've done. No, we're glossing over that. <laughs> <laughs> we're glossing over that. It's 25 years ago. Yeah, I know, but past, I think it's, it's quite important that people don't know part of your history, because... <laughs> so I've always been in this trade. <laughs> Is an extract quick? No way. <laughs> Did you not know? <laughs> did you not know that? Did you not know that? Yeah. I only, yeah, but I only did about four, about four years. Yes. About four years. In your years. own places or in other people's places? Um, no, in other people's. I used to... <laughs> I can't even... sober licensee by day. And then... Well... Foo-foo by night. Yeah. <laughs> well, what happened, and, and in fairness, Frank had something to do with it as well, but I think... At the time, I was I had two pubs at the time, and and one of them was doing well, and one was struggling a little bit, um, and I was putting artists on on a Friday and Saturday night, um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't do dragging my own own path. so I went out and and it turned out that I was going out and earning more doing drag than the artists that I was paying to do my bar <laughs> on a Friday, Saturday night. And, and that's what I did. And it, you know, I always say the same. I had four, four great years. It helped rescue one of my pubs. Um, it made me a few quid. And then I quite happily got rid of the <laughs> alter ego. Never, ever, ever to return. <laughs> what were you called? Tony Hollywood. That's it. You know, original. Yeah, You've just worked. mentioned the name there that I need to pick up, which is obviously Frank Fufu Lamar, yeah. which obviously you knew really well. And I need to share a little story that Paul probably remembers, is that uh, I was doing Taste of Honey and stuff like that and work in the early days and stuff like that and volunteer. And then uh, I used to go out and about, but I never, ever went out in drag. If I was on stage, I did drag, but I would never actually come off the stage. And then what we were... Uh, invited to this uh, club relaunch mm. in called Blues in Ashton. It was after a fire and there's a big, I don't know if you remember oh, this, was, this uh, relaunch. And then speaking, it was in Naps, I think, speaking to Frank and, and all of them, like, oh, you've got to come along, boys, you've got to come along. And John, you've got to come in drag. I went, no, 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 no. I don't go out in drag. You know, I do it on stage and that's it. No, no, you've got to do it in drag. Well, uh, me and Paul then were like, Okay, I'll do this, fine, we'll do it in drag. Paul dressed up in a tuxedo and all of this. You probably don't remember this, do you? All in tuxedo like this. And I was going in, in drag and turn up. And I remember it's this, because I remember turning up and going to this club and going, it's in the, it was a bit of a backwater, but, you know, everybody yeah. went. And it was Miss Fish, yes. all of that type thing. And we went, we turned up and I went like this. Oh, I'm, swanning in. I'm totally uncomfortable like this. And I think I was the only one in drag apart from the tea girls like this. And next thing, Frank turned up with uh, Colin and all that lot. I went, hi. I went, oh, I see you turned up. I knew I'd make you turn up in drag. <laughs> I can still remember. Frank turned up saying, I knew I'd make you turn up in drag because I was a bag of nerves not going out in drag. I can still see it then. Frank going, I knew I'd make you turn up in drag in public. You don't remember that? It was, I mean, oh. you know, love, love him or dislike him. And, you know, there is people in the gay community that, that dislike Frank. But the one thing about Frank I will always say is the amount of people that he quietly helped. He helped lots of people, you know, with his charity work and stuff like that. But the, the amount of people, when you when you talk to people, the amount of people... I mean, my car got broken into 
when I was doing drag, um, and there was a suitcase of costumes when, and um, Frank's car. In fact, I think it might have been Miss Fish that told him, but Frank's car just turned up at my pub with the suitcase and said, Frank sent them, and there were four new dresses in there, and he just, there, Frank sent them. No, you know, and he, and he did that for a lot of people in, in lots of ways. The hard thing about Frank is part of, Frank was part of the old gay elite, I yes. use that word, you know, and they used to, what people didn't know, there used to be him, who's the one from LWC, <coughs> the, uh, used to sell beers and wines with everyone, used to have uh, lights, the nightclub lights, whatever it was called. Phil, Phil, Phil Clegg. There was the oldies that used to do uh, dinner dances things yeah. with guest speakers like Shirley Bassey they used mm-hmm. to have and used to hire the Gardens Hotel and have all these dinners, you know, and pay for and raise money for HIV and AIDS and all stuff like this back in the early days. Uh, and then people used to pick on Frank and they leave because they were old school. They didn't understand the political side and everyone was, hi, your babe and girl and, mm. you know, and there was a lot of, Touring and throwing, and they were quite old school. Certainly, when it came to running clubs and development and stuff like that, and how policies used to be. I mean, if you remember the old Lacage, Lacage, yeah. which was one of their main clubs, that you couldn't go in unless you had a shirt and tie and trousers on. Where, where, take that? You did one yeah. of their first first performances. Yeah, you know, you forget all of that. No. One of their best stories about. <laughs> I don't know whether I can tell the story. Yeah, Carl, he's dead, he's fine. Um, was when the cottage closed down. Which one? The one on Oxford Road? <laughs> and the, co- the cottage was um, basically public toilets where, where gay men used to go and pick up um, other men. And it got closed down by the council and Frank turned up in his Rolls Royce and put a wreath outside the front door. <laughs> 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 Which... I'll never forget that story. I mean, the development of the, the, the you know, as soon as Carol opened up Manto and then Via came in, yeah, and then Via said other things, and then the street picked up, you know, the whole village so started to change. Slug and lettuce. Slug and lettuce. Slug and lettuce. Yeah, slug and lettuce, and then Bar 30 straight, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I wanted to talk about as, as then we move into the 90s. <coughs> Um, and you start to get the chains, the slug and lettuces, and you start to get the higher end, and Machinair was around that time as well, yeah. wasn't it? Um, so you start to get an awful lot more straights coming in and a lot more money coming in as well, I guess. Um, how did that change, and how did that change for the community, and how did that change for the bar owners? Um, I think some of it was welcomed. I think I think some of it was welcomed. Um, I mean, you go to now and and you hear it all the time. It's not a gay scene. You know, it's changed since... Queer as folk always gets the blame. It's not queer Queer as folk folk always gets the blame. But, you know, there's plenty of video out there, if you search for it on YouTube and everything else, of people back in, you know, 95, 96, all complaining about hen nights on the village, complaining about, you know, there's too many straight women here, there's... Manto, we're raving about Manto. 
Manto had a huge issue about bringing straight people into night, late night clubbing. Absolutely. And Carol and Peter's argument was, this is a bar and a club and a business, and providing people's attitudes was fine, then they could come in. Yeah. People forget that. Manto wasn't just about being a gay bar, it was about to everyone, and open up the sex- your sexuality to everyone. Yeah. You know, and people forget that, oh, you know, it's this, it's that, it's not. I mean, the village has changed, the village has developed. Part of the issue we have got, when I get so annoyed because I run a bar and when I took over the bar a lot of venue owners said got angry at me because I refused to make it gay you know my attitude was quite simply it's gay owned gay managed and the issue I've got is we have fought for equality so therefore I cannot say what comes through my door and the other point is 36 odd venues around the village there isn't enough lesbian and gay community to support all of those venues anyway you know if you want to come down to economics you know and my policy has been with my venue I don't care about your sexuality as long as you put money in my till and everyone is looked after you know, yes, my sexuality comes first, all of that, you know, but it's a, I, I am an entertainment venue. There are spaces for certain groups to meet at certain times, and that's important that we have that. I mean, my venue and your venue, we have certain groups that meet certain days of the week uh, that, that we have. Uh, but I don't think that, you know, in this day and age, we can turn around and say, no, no women allowed or... You know, but we can't. Straight I mean, we're not allowed to anyway. Not, not allowed to. But what I'm saying is, is those days have gone, and when people still well, harbour on to owning that. But you know, John, do you want to go back? Do you want to go back to them days where we used to get our doorman and the doorman used to, and they used to turn around and question your sexuality? Oh, you have to kiss your friend at the door know, to prove you were going. You know, question what magazine you wrote, you read. You know, what what other club have you been to? You know, is that your boyfriend? Well. Let me see you kissing before yeah, you come through. Yeah. Do you really want to go back to them days? Well, I don't. I don't. I don't. But, you know, I know that certain venues still operate that policy because they want to have a strong door policy. You know, they want to keep their, their, their identity, which is acceptable if they can afford to do that. Uh, I, you know, It's not acceptable. I, well, you know, certain times, if, if I could run a gay-only bar and space, then I would. But with the way that the community has changed, I don't think there is a need for every bar to operate that policy. I understand Eagle's policy. I understand Vanilla's policy. But even Vanilla has dropped it on yeah. certain days. You know, I understand there is a need at times for those policies. We don't operate that. We don't have a need. You know, as you know, one of the biggest complaints I get from the young gay community at the moment is, oh, you let too many straights in or your drink is too expensive. And I have to say, well, you've just turned up to my door at half two in the morning saying that drink is too expensive, but you've sat for three hours in the northern quarter on Grinder while drinking cocktails. Don't come to me saying things. I'm sorry, I'm being political now you're or whatever. A, you're on a business rant now. <laughs> it's not a business rant. I'm just saying how things have changed now. People have a choice. They can go and drink in any venue they want. And I accept that. And people shouldn't tell me off for letting hen parties in or letting straights in or letting black people in or letting whatever. You know, there's a lot of people out there that attack me for what attack me and attacked other businesses. Yes. You know, and I'm sorry, in this development, the... The, the gay village has changed. We need to keep a, a hold of our identity and we need to keep a hold of our history, but we have to move with the times as well. How, how do you manage that? I mean, we were talking last time about 
um, obviously the growth of the Northern Quarter, but growth of Ancoats and other areas where a mixed community is just assumed to be in that bar. And obviously a lot of people, presumably um, gay or straight, will then say, but, come back and go, is there still a need for a specific gay area in a village as there once was in the mid-80s? Right, well, firstly, the, the Northern Quarter isn't actually as successful as people people are touting that it is. There's more businesses up for sale and gone under in the Northern Quarter in the last year than have probably gone under in the village in the last 10. They, you know, it's it's just not happening there. Now that they've lost the business rate subsidies and, and everything else that they've had for a good few years, and they're now paying the going rate the same as all of us, they're all going out, they're going out of business, they're up for sale. There's pretty much... I saw something that said 60% are up, are up for sale at the moment in the in the Northern Quarter because people my, are trying to get out. My brewery, brewery has said, the brewery that we have, that we work with, have said that, you know, this as a business area is quite stable. We might not feel it, but it's quite stable. They're having to work with other areas in the city that they're losing thousands because the businesses are just going under left, right and centre. Yeah. He said, you know, where the money, they said, we know that come with the two new developments here, the brewery knows that they've got to put money into this area and to keep it going. Uh, I mean, she's talking five, six years ago, there were real concerns at that time, yeah. weren't there? About the future, you've got lots of, lots of places closing or chasing each other down market in terms of certainly the price of beer, I think at the time, has that been reversed? I think with the gay community, there's there's a couple of things. Firstly, we've got a generation of of gay people that remember the the nineties, the two, early two thousands, and and they look back very much with rose tinted glasses on and go, oh, it was amazing, it was packed, it was brilliant, it was this. But if you actually was here or did your research it wasn't all of that it was it was very much as it is now maybe a little bit gayer but it it was still but i think i think as a as a gay man that when i came here as a new person and the bars and the vibrancy and the community that i felt we had at that point i mean to stand outside the union you know with friends and drinking you know, that was great. We'd go out and drink and stand on the street and have a chat. And that was, a, we always met as a meeting point. And I think that as we all grew older and things moved on, we developed into onto other things. And I think the next generation came in. And we always say, I mean, I spoke to some young lads the other week and some girls. And I said, you know, I think, and, the th and they said, this is amazing. I said, what's amazing? The village is amazing. You don't realise what you've got. I went, well, what do you mean? He said, we live in Leeds. You know, and yeah, we've got a couple of bars, but you haven't got the atmosphere that this village has. And I think that because we work and live here constantly, you know, I think we miss that. But I also had to respect that generational thing is people coming for the first time and go, wow, it's like going to Blackpool and the fun fair. It's one of those things and you do it for a certain amount of time and then you move on. Yes, it is a big lie. Don't even go down that road. <laughs> but that, I think the other thing is that what, what's happened is... Back then, we we had a sense of community. We had um, a sense of camaraderie because we had things to fight for. Yeah. We were constantly fighting for something. What are we fighting for now? And and that's that's the problem now. You know, a lot of the younger generation now they haven't got those fights that that we had. They can you know they can get my, married. My younger students they can adopt kids. My but, younger you know, students go to Fifth Avenue. They go to Fact. They, you know, they go to these venues quite happily with their partners, you know, they go there to pull and there isn't any issue. The, the gay scene is an add-on to, to what they've already got around university and everything else. And the other part of it is we, we've got 
that other generation where we turn around, we fought really hard for, for what we've got, which is virtual equality. And the problem is there isn't, when they're coming out on the gay scene, it isn't the equality that we wanted. So, yes, we want to be able to walk in Weatherspoons and not be abused and be able to hold our partner's hands. We want to be able to walk around, you know, the Arndale Centre holding our hands. But, oh God, we've got to let straights in our venue. And that's the hard thing. That is the hard thing thing. for the community. You know, uh, not so much from the the bar owners or the the club owners or restaurant. It is the community. Yes, we fought for equality. We want to go down Market Street holding hands. But when I walk into my bar, I want only gay people in it. And that's quite a hard thing for people to actually swallow. You know, uh, and, you know, when we have to actually stand up and say, no, sorry, you know, the, the bar is now open to everyone. And it's quite a lot of people don't like that. I don't know how that's is that, dealt is that with. true of different generations or is that a particular generation? I think it's the 30 plus. I think it's yeah. the 30, 35 plus. You remember those golden yeah. years? Yeah. The, you know, the, the 30s, they, they, they were just on that, on the, you know, the 18, 19 year olds back then who were coming into their 30s and stuff now, certainly in the 90s, 2000s. And now the older, certainly the older, I have more issues with the 50. 50 plus generation that turn around and complain Ugh. all the time. I've got one that comes into my bar and he's, he's, he, do, he does a lot for the community. He does a lot of stuff at Gadeo and stuff like that. And he comes in uh, and he comes in and he goes, oh, look, more girls in the bar. You know, well, well that's the way it is now. He says, I don't understand why you let these girls in. This shouldn't be, look at them screaming. I went, but I'm going to name the person then. I said, but that's the way things are now. You've got to respect it. I said, if you want an only men only space, well, there are bars around the village that you can get that. Well, no, I like this bar. I said, well, you'll have to take on board. But they constantly moan. I mean, I mean he's in his, well, he's 60. He says, I remember when. I went, yeah, but there was only four or five bars then. I said, now we've opened the doors up and there's 30 odd bars here. And, You've got to take it on board. And the other thing is that it's the, it's the, it's the people, they turn around during the week and they finish work with, you know, Sarah from accounts and, you know, Beryl from filing. And they go, oh, let's go for a drink now. And come on, we'll go to Canal Street and we'll go in. And then come weekend when they come out and they're not with Karen from accounts and whoever, and they go, oh, there's too many. Well, you brought them here on Wednesday. They've enjoyed it. And they're now here on Friday night. And it is, oh, I know, but that when doesn't... We, when we look at the 18, 19-year-old... I mean, when I started Poptastic, you know, 22 years ago, actually, this week, you know, when I started Poptastic, it was an underground club in the alternative music, opposite of the dance music, and we did it all underground. And there were kids in there that couldn't go to other alternative clubs because, they, you know, they were gay, identified as gay or lesbian, whatever. And it was their space. And over the years, the club grew, grew, and then it became mixed and stuff like that. And then it actually, there was no need for that space to a certain degree because they could actually go to all the alternative clubs. And I think that's how things have developed and moved on. Uh, and I think the village has moved that way. As to where the village is now and where it's going, I think that the most important thing for me is that I think the council <coughs> need to stand up, be proud of this area, and identify this area as a heritage point for the lesbian and gay community. Because, you know, I, I use this slightly and say a lot of people have died 
for this area, for this space. And I think we should identify, and when I say that, I mean HIV and AIDS, fighting, all of that. And I think that wouldn't it be great if the council said, okay, let's identify this as, as a heritage area that, you know, the lesbian and gay community have fought for equality. Blah, blah, blah. So let's identify this space as uh, a lesbian and gay village or the gay village. I, you know, I, I know there's an argument there, what should we call it? But I think it should be the gay village has always been identified as a gay village uh, and then all other labels underneath that. But I think that it needs to have some recognition. A little tiny plaque on the lamppost that is quite embarrassing, really. And that was only down to the uh, lesbian and gay businesses coming together to fund that. And we had to fight for those plaques to go up, if you remember, yeah, Tony. Absolutely. You know, even though they're, you know, we had to fight for years because the council wouldn't put gay village on a map. It had to be the village because of the redevelopments. And we fought for, yet the tourist, tourist office put that area down in pink <laughs> if you remember on the map it was a village but it was pink you know it, those silly things like that yeah. back in the day back in the, the the late 90s whatever and I think the council are starting to recognise it and start to take on board it'd be great, great if Richard Lees when he come, well I think he's coming to retire is he or is he staying on I don't know but I've got that feeling he's definitely still there he's definitely still there it'd be great if he could stand up and say right let's make this a great thing for the city uh, just like Obama did with Chicago, with Boys Town, you know, and identify this as a great house. I mean, it'd be fantastic, tourist-wise, economically. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we've got these two major developments. We've got campus and this one here. We know it's going to change the area. We talk about the, the, the bus station car park. That's just talk at the moment. I've been here 30 years, and that's been talked about for 30 years. Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, when you've got mixed ownership of land, there's a lot of hurdles to cross on that. But these two developments here and the certain retail units... How do you think like those that? new developments are going to change? I mean, obviously, they're going to bring an awful lot of people who are just living on your well, doorstep. I, I, Tony, let me just take a one point here that Tony and me have both noticed last year, and nobody's picked up on it. Since the walkway from the station, the Piccadilly station, come across here, the tramway down, this, at 8 o'clock in the morning, is a major walkthrough fair, yeah? And at night, that hasn't yeah. happened. It's only happened over the last 12 months. And I think when these developments come in, the footfall in this area is going to be amazing. And I think as businesses and as a community, we need to look and work with that. I think the developments could, could be good. The thing that I'm worried about is that we start hitting what has happened, certainly in a lot of parts of London, is that these developments are going to be sold to investors. So there's a development, I'm not going to name it, but there's a development near here, and part of their, their planning permission was, or their um at the, right at the very beginning, was that they would make sure it was marketed locally, sold locally, etc., etc. A friend of mine who lives in China sent me a picture of a full-page advert advertising that block as investment properties in China. So all the talk of us having, you know, 3,000 new customers here, 3,000 new customers there, might actually end up with us having great big empty buildings with no, empty properties just sat there because it's a, some foreign investor that just owns it and leaves it sat there empty. 
But even if you get investors, you've got a chance that they may be rented out at that point, or at least a high I mean, percentage the, of them. Let me depends, use, depends what let, they're investing for, doesn't but, it? But the rental, but the rental market around here is is so high. It's now. a thousand pound plus, isn't it? Yeah, you know. You know. I mean, look at the development opposite you. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about that. It, it, it went bankrupt because the Irish banks collapsed and all that. But part, when they got that development agreed, they had to have a community space, park space. Then one of the units had to be used for a community group. Uh, no major change to be put into it. It had to be individual units, all of that. So certainly it was development for flats and then a hotel. Yeah. All of that has now gone. All the blocks now are... Flats to rent, uh, to let, to yeah. sell, sorry, to sell. And then the development space, they can't be clear what's happening with the public space in the centre, if that's gone or not. Uh, and then and the community space is now gone because the new owners have now took over the plans and redevelopment because every bit of inch is money. Uh, I mean, the campus, we've been campus, which, I mean, I think the whole development theory is great. Campus is great. It's uh, rentable apartments in the heart of the city. That has changed hands and it hasn't even been completed yet. A Chinese development company is now, or an investment, Chinese investment, investment company is now taking over that. We don't know what's going to happen to that. These individual units on David Street or David Street, are they still going to be there as planned, these little units? I mean, we don't know. It's just one of those things. We've just got to sit back. We don't have a say now because it doesn't matter once planning's gone through. We're just told constantly, have faith. Have faith, it'll bring something to you. unfortunately, we can't have faith, can we? Because we you know, as businesses and as a resident, you know, is that things change. You know, uh, the impact on noise, you know, and I know that from a business owner, you know, that we've done everything to bend over backwards, you know, and when I... I mean, I'm going to be quite political here. As a business owner and working with the community to have, you know, get 18 letters of support of a business and then get three, that's not, it's really hard. You know, I mean, I don't know what we can do. But have you heard of the new law that's going through at the moment called Agent for Change? No, what's that? You need to find out about this new law called Agent for Change. Because what it does is it reverses that situation you've just mentioned. So what it kind of does is it puts the onus on the developer... Oh, yeah, that's yeah. yeah, it hasn't come in yet. It's kind of going through. But, but it does change the relationship and it does protect what's already there. And I think that will be a big game changer for the village. But I just wanted to kind of go back, if I may, and just kind of ask a question about the fact that you... Because I'm, I, I'm, I constantly get asked what about the future of the village because with equality laws, and you two have both talked at length about how people can socialise and meet other people in lots of different spaces, most spaces Mm. in the city centre. And we recognise there's a difference between urban centres and rural areas. We Mm recognise that there are parts of the country and parts of Ireland where it's not okay to be gay, even though, you know... But but, but the reality is, is that you, you talked about, you know, the council articulate you know identifying this space as a heritage site but doesn't that sort of like almost feel that 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 kind of acknowledges what it was what not what it's going to be so it's almost a bit like with these developments that are taking place with the changes that are already taking place on this street marco pierre white opening up a restaurant you know it feels like the old days in the 90s and stuff when we have machinaire where we had all those other kind of like you know major venues kind of coming in and it changed the nature i suppose what i'm interested in is what you think the future holds so 
you know, you've, you've talked about equality working both ways, and I think it's a really yeah. interesting argument. I've not quite heard that articulated before. So whereas uh, LGBT people are accepted in other parts of the city, we should kind of, you know, welcome heterosexual people. So equality works both ways. And I think you made that point really, really well. So what do you think this area looks like in 10 years' time? Do you think there's a need for a gay village? Do you think there's a need for a collection of gay bars? Or do you think that it might move somewhere else? Do you think that gay spaces can't be regulated? Because you only have to look at what's happening around the world, including in Chicago, where gay spaces used to be in the poorer, rundown parts of the city. Through regeneration, they are now some of the most desirable, most expensive parts of the city. And gay venues... And, look at and, Brighton. And, and, and gay bars, particularly independent. And London. You think there's a thriving underground gay scene, you know, gay club scene in Manchester, none of which happens in the village, happens in other parts, because, because club promoters say that venues in this village are too expensive to rent. So what do you think the future is? Um, what an excellent final question, sort of. Well, I mean, first of all, property prices are, and rental prices on the village now are just astronomical. But the village has always changed. It's, it's changed, adapted you know, all the, all the way through. And that's, you know, that's what we do in our venues. And there's a, a part of a speech that I give every year on the stage at Pride, on the Sackville Garden stage. And I always say the same thing about whether the gay scene is relevant or not. And John will understand this because we still have those 18, 19 year old people that come into the bar, they work in the city, they come in, they come in after work, they have a couple of pints, they sit there, they talk to the staff, they talk to us, and then they get on a bus and they go home to the outskirts to, you know, parents that do not understand, will not understand that, I mean, certainly one person that I know of that's, you know, his parents are quite religious, um, they don't, they're so scared of being found on Grinder or other dating apps that they don't use them or they use them, you know, very infrequently. And their touchstone is still walking into a gay bar after work for two pints of lager before they go home. And that's why there will always be a gay scene. That's why, we, that's why we're still here. That's why we will always be here. Is it going to be the same in 10 years' time as it is now? No, probably not. But we would, we would have all moved on. And as we have done, moved on as things have developed. You know, we've all you, had to take on board. You're that old, you'll be dead by now. Oh, probably, dear. Yeah. I'll have a plaque <laughs> in the gardens as well. Now, the, we've all... We all have moved on over the years and the bars have moved on and the community's moved on. And I think how that works, we're yet to see. I think a big thing that a lot of the bars didn't take on board and now have taken on board is social media. Yeah. You know, a lot of bars sat there and we can open our doors and the gays are going to come in. They didn't realise how much gay men and social apps really have hit them financially. You know, and I think where a lot of bars around the country, certainly London is a major one, is everybody saying it's, it's property prices. Yeah, that's part of it. But also the gays aren't coming out to drink. Then, you know, I don't know if I can speak here, but then, you know, gays came to a bar to meet other men to actually go home with, you know, putting it politely. So, You're allowed uh, to say that. Yeah, so, but now they can do that while watching Emmerdale on an app. So they don't really need to come out. So there's various problems with that. A is from an agency like this that we're sat in, how do they get uh, a safer sex message out? You know, now, because 
there's no one coming out. There's all yeah. these messages. How do we get messages out to these communities? As before, because all these different communities met inside the bars. You know, the tea community. I you mean, know? that's the big thing about how, and I was just going to bring this up, that, you know, you look at, now, you look at how the gay community has, has spread out. We're more going to be an LGBTQ plus community, an LGBTQ plus area because you go back five six years ago the trans community didn't come out in the in the way that they do now they used to come come out on a wednesday they used to go to certain two venues they used to come to via they used to go to napoleons that was it paddy's goose that was it you look at five years later six years later now you know we have uh, second Friday of the month, Manchester Minx. We have, you know, Wednesdays is still a really strong trans night. You know, um, we have third Saturdays where, where, and we're talking, hundred. you know, it can be hundreds of trans girls that are coming out over the weekend because the confidence is built in a safe space. And I think that so, will go so into non-binary, et cetera, et cetera. The role of the village as a safe space is almost deep. Though it's not detaching from its origins... It's almost reinforcing its historical need I, I think a that's, I think that's and spreading to I other related what communities. What we need to, yeah, absolutely. It's it's now spreading to that wider community. It's 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 now, for me, it's it's moving more away from um, a gay space to a queer space. Very much. I don't so. think the council go. Welcome to the queer village. No, but I think that you know to call it the gay village. I, I'm still fighting for the council. I'm still fighting for the community to designate this area. I will always be, because as far as I'm concerned, I've travelled all across the world, and for me, you know, people forget what a magnet this area is. Tourism-wise, uh, economically-wise, sexuality-wise, and I think we, you know, we should hold our heads up. You know, I remember when Roy Jackson, everybody got together and said, let's put the gay village arch on Canal Street. You know, seen, do you remember the plans on that? And, you know, the council were like, no, we couldn't name it gay, the village and stuff like that. I, I still come back that we designate this area and still come back. There's bars, there's businesses, gay owned, whatever, you know, managed and gay people, transgender people, lesbians, bisexual, they all use this area. I think we need to hold that. And as time goes on, that community changes within this area. And I think, you know, you only have to look at the development to see the amount of lesbian and gay people actually live in this area as well. You know, in my block, you know, out of seven flats, six of them are gay. You know, it's, you're always saying, oh no, there's too many heterosexuals in this area and changing. Yeah, it, it's a diversity community. Mm. I mean, you know, we've just got to take what we've got, but we've also got to acknowledge, accept and be proud of this area. You know, let's not knock it. And probably those, uh, I don't think they ever were quite as hard divisions as people might like to say between being straight and gay. Uh, 40 years ago, that's elided a lot, if, certainly for the younger generation coming up. Though saying, are you this, are you that, are you that, is nonsensical Number to a lot of younger people. Yeah. <laughs> What's the new Gender fluidity. And I think that's what we've got. To, I think you're right about our history. We've got to protect our history. Um, and I don't think it's pigeonholing us into the past by protecting our history. But we've got to, we've got to be very um, forward-thinking about mm. how we accept, you know, we, we've still got venues on the village that don't have gender-neutral facilities. We've still got... Um, 
I mean, I, you bring that up. When, when I done my toilets as unisex, mm -hmm. when I first took over, the council said no. The council said no. Couldn't have it. And we challenged them, and they went, okay. Yeah. And that was five years ago. Now that's de rigueur. Yeah. 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 Everyone is unisex toilets. Now, we, we do have urinals to one side, men, you know, four men separately, but the, the, the cubicles are mixed. And and I think that's what we've got to do. We've got to we've got to start recognising that our community now is very much LGBTQ plus, yeah. rather than just the LGB part of it. Mm. That's the LGB part of it is our history. I think the the TQ plus is is going to be our future very much. When I came out, it was gay and lesbian. When I came out, it was lesbian. And if you're bisexual, you were frowned upon. Oh, you were a drag queen, you were found upon. Mm. You know, that's when I'm talking 32, 35 years ago. I'm old enough to remember in the 80s the huge debate at the London Lesbian and Gay Centre about the whole use of the word queer, which is, I'm sure yeah. you are. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You are self-identified as queer. You weren't, you weren't welcome in the London Lesbian and Gay Centre. Too radical, too radical. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. You, you, you couldn't be. You were, you were a closet straight, effectively, at that point. Yeah, and we're coming full circle because the debate about queer has started again. But I mean, I think what's really interesting about, you know, the takeaway for me from this conversation is about not only, you know, uh, calling this area a heritage site, a queer heritage site or an LGBT heritage site, but it's also about making sure that the improvements to the area, the regen, you know, the gentrification that's taking place actually, you know, focuses on cult LGBT cultural um, uh, promotion, awareness and stuff, you know, the use of the rainbow and stuff. And I think that if we can designate this area, not just on a map, but also when you walk along it, absolutely, really absolutely. Kind of absolutely. LGBT because most space. of the people buying into this area know that it's the gay village. You know, Otherwise you don't move be, into this yeah. area not knowing, oh, I'm in Chinatown. You know, everyone knows it's the gay village. So let's use that as part of the marketing point of view and a part of an area that we need to be proud of. And we are proud of. There's no need about it. You go to, I go and walk my dog in Sackville Gardens. You know, yeah. you know, people do not know. You know, if people can see how many visitors Sackville Gardens gets. If somebody stood there with a clicker and saw the monument and saw Alan Turing statue and soon you know maybe the big we don't know you know we joke about it but that park brings a lot of tourism a lot of tourists to this area you know we just sit back and we just don't realize it because we're too busy running our own lives it's such an amazing place to to work in to live in and to visit absolutely which is a brilliant ending thank you very much a very positive place to end uh, thank you to Tony, to John, to Paul for effectively doing most of the questioning and sharing this and for hosting this event. Uh, that is officially the longest podcast we've ever done, uh, probably one of the most interesting. I'm sure we will return to the subject uh, again and again in the future. Next up is Andrew Brooks talking about photography, urban exploration, all sorts of things. Uh, delving into the mysterious places in Manchester. Uh, until next time, if you have any ideas, speak to us at, on Twitter at CottonmouthMCR. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.